This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Schneimer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. It's been described as a permanent stain on his presidency. Yesterday, U.S. President Donald J. Trump became the third president in America's history to be impeached after the House of Representatives voted in favor of two articles of impeachment. Trump was charged with abuse of power and obstruction of Congress. And while this was unfolding, where was Donald Trump? Well, he was holding one of his signature rallies in Battle Creek, Michigan, where he declared the impeachment illegal to the roaring approval of an adoring crowd. The voting on this breaks down almost exclusively on partisan lines. The next step will be a trial in the Senate where Trump is sure to be exonerated by a Republican majority. So I would like to know from you, what do you think watching it from here in Canada? The numbers to call 416-360-0740, toll free one 866 740-4740. And now we have three very knowledgeable guests. Dr. Ronald Shuren, Associate Professor of Political Science at the University of Connecticut. Dr. Jason Opel, Associate Professor and Department Chair of History and Classical Studies at McGill University. And Dr. Elliot Tepper, Senior Fellow at the Norman Patterson School of International Affairs at Carleton University. Welcome. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, it's a pleasure. Okay, well, let us start with the American among us, Dr. Ronald Shoren. Uh, did ev- did any of this unfold in a way that you were not expecting? Not at all. And perhaps that is somewhat disappointing. Uh, in the previous impeachments, as has been often said, party members on both sides deviated from their party leadership, a small number in the Clinton case. In the Nixon case, uh, there was virtual unanimity at the end with the evidence compelling. In this case, it was a highly partisan, totally um, charged debate. Only two Democrats deviated and voted no, and a couple voted present. All Republicans, even those who have been critical of the president, voted against the resolution of impeachment. Okay. Dr. Opal, one of the things that I've heard when this is brought up about how partisan it is, you know, people say, well, you know, it has ever been thus, except for the case of Nixon, who did not get impeached because he resigned beforehand. Uh, the, the, the two previous impeachments also played out on partisan lines. Well, they did, but, but as noted, it's, it, this is exceptionally partisan. It's, it's more so than, than ever in the past. Um, it's notable also that even those uh, Republicans, as mentioned, who have been critical in the past of Mr. Trump didn't even say something to the effect of, well, what he did was perhaps improper, but doesn't rise to the level of impeachable offense. It was an entirely, no, he did nothing wrong, uh, and or you just hate uh, him and all 53 million Americans who voted for him. So it's exceptionally so. Um, there's been a couple of political scientists who have tried to you know, kind of distinguish between 
ordinary partisanship and you know pathological partisanship, the, the kind in which the opposing side isn't simply jockeying for power or interpreting differently the law, but is an existential threat to the country. And I think that that is you know, fairly uh, evident now in the United States. Um, there are a couple of exceptions in which there are bipartisan bills passed for things like defense spending, but otherwise there's not just partisan bitterness, partisan hatred um, that I think is really quite, um, it's not the only time in American history, but it is very unusual. Uh, yeah. Uh, on the other hand, before this happened, there were demonstrations of people calling for the impeachment. Uh, and on the one hand, you see polls where President Trump isn't doing that well in the polls. But then then you look at the pictures from these rallies and these acolytes. I mean, there it's more than just political support. And it's it's quite mind boggling, Dr. Tepper. Yes, we have a fascinating situation where the technical argument now is that, you know, Democrats said they wouldn't impeach unless it was uh, had overwhelming evidence and also bipartisan support. And look, there was no bipartisan support, but that's because the president laid down the law saying all Republicans had better back me. And that's because of his command over the Republican base. So asking the elected members, House or Senate, to deviate uh, is asking them to go against their own constituents, which are very solidly behind Donald Trump. Donald Trump has a higher approval rating within the party than Ronald Reagan ever did. This is, um, this is a party which has been mobilized behind the president, and he will turn them out at the polls. Remember, ultimately, what we're talking about is who holds power in America, and that's still an open question. This impeachment will play into that, but how it plays into it at this minute is not clear. Will there be a backlash against one side or the other? Will people who voted uh, perhaps in a way they didn't uh, actually feel, but they thought they had to? Uh, The Republican-backed lawyer, constitutional lawyer, who testified in front of, you know, when we had all those uh, those big dome people, you know, my colleague type people, uh, uh, he was on air saying, this is like having a loose torpedo in the water. You don't know which way it's going to go after this impeachment process. Well, Dr. Shuren, yeah. Donald Trump said at his rally that this was going to help him get reelected in 2020. Do you agree with that? It'll mobilize the Republican base, but that's already mobilized. Uh, how it will play out, I don't know. After the Clinton impeachment, I live here in Connecticut, a very liberal Democratic state, but there were Republican members of Congress who voted to uh, impeach President Clinton. Wasn't held against them. People just wanted to put that whole thing beside them. It was so distasteful, and everybody knew the, the, the factual situation and that what Clinton had done was far from admirable. Whether he should have been impeached for it was was the open question, but people just wanted to put the whole thing behind them. Here, yeah, but isn't this a different? Of, uh, something that violates the public trust, and whether people will remember this vote uh, after the primaries. You know, as as was said by by my colleague here, one of the uh, things in Republicans' minds, and I suppose Democrats' minds too, is can they survive a party primary 
where people in their in their base get out to vote. Ninety percent of Republicans, by some polls, are supportive of President Trump. And that's the constituency that members are thinking about right now for the next few months. After the primary, we'll see what happens. But if I can just add one point as we go to the Senate. Uh, there was much talk yesterday about Federalist 65, one of the great Federalist papers, which deals with impeachment. So I went out and read Federalist 65 once again. I'd read it years ago. And Hamilton writes there that it's good to have the Senate be the body that hears impeachment trials because they are the most fit depository of this important trust. Well, we will see when you have senators like Majority Leader Mitch McConnell saying, essentially, I've already made up my mind and I'm going to coordinate with the White House. You asked earlier what surprised me. That surprised me. Well, yeah, I have two things, right? They, they, the, the senators or just some of them are the jurors. This is a trial that will happen in the Senate. Yes. And they, they take an oath saying that they will be an impartial juror. And here they are admitting publicly that no, they won't be. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. And it's a separate, uh, it's good of you to point that out and pick that up. One of the things that's playing out is we have a marvelous teaching moment. We're all professors here. So we are learning, everybody's learning a great deal about how the constitutional processes work. And in this case, there is a separate oath taken when this becomes a trial, and that is to be impartial. We also have Lindsey Graham, head of the Judiciary Committee, saying no, there's no way we're impartial. But then again, you could ask Schumer if he's impartial. You can ask the Democrats if they had already made up their mind. It's a fascinating uh, display of the Constitution. I'm pleased my colleagues are raising the, the Federalist Papers and so forth, and Hamilton and Madison. One of the phrases that has now come out, uh, not from the Federalist Papers, is that this is a stain, a permanent stain on the honor. However, Donald Trump has used that to say it's a stain permanently on the honor of the House, whereas the Democrats and many of the pundits, almost all of them, are saying this is a permanent stain on the president no matter what else happens to him. Well, we'll to, see. As as, uh, as uh, Dr. Shuren pointed out, you know, I've, I've heard it said that that's the first thing people think of with ben, Bill Clinton. I disagree with that. Correct. They might think of Monica Lewinsky and what was going on there, but not the fact that he was impeached for that. Yes, it will be in the first paragraph of his obituary. No doubt about that. That's okay, the, well, fair enough. I think, I think it depends on what's going forward. I think it's going to be mentioned. But it could be mentioned this way. One scenario is this, that as a result of everything we're about to see, and remember, there's 10 months more of things that are going to happen and come out, and this, what we're talking about today may not be in the forefront of anybody's uh, recollection. We could have a situation where that epitaph says, after being impeached, the president was reelected and he led his party to victory in both the House and the Senate. Mm-hmm. that's a much stronger statement than, oh, he was impeached. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, and it, so here is my next question. This is watching it. It's all like a, it's it's like a set piece with scripts. There was no surprise. It would be a shock if, if he didn't get exonerated in the Senate. So kind of what's the point? I think uh, if I could jump in, I think some sure. some of the point is, to say what you can sort of uh, show in terms of mobilizing your uh, your caucus or your base. So yes, uh, Mr. Trump is very good at mobilizing his base, and absolutely, 
that is the nature of the party. In many ways, the Republican Party is far weaker as a party, as an institution, than it was a generation ago. It's now really a kind of megaphone for the Trump movement in, in many, many ways. On the Democratic side, it was an opportunity for um, Huffinger Pelosi to mobilize her caucus, and all up for 235 members, all but three, basically, you know, went on board. Um, in the Senate, I think what she's going to try to do is delay delivering the articles. Here again, we're learning about constitutional process. Yep. There is no precedent for this. You're just sort of, frankly, making it up because the Constitution doesn't actually stipulate exactly how the mechanism works. I think she'll hold on to them until she can negotiate or sort of muscle out a better procedure in the Senate. And the purpose of that would be to, for example, have more witnesses called who can at least give damaging testimony on Mr. Trump uh, before this thing wraps up as virtually everyone expects, which is that he'll be exonerated. That's different than just saying, you know, okay, it goes to the Senate as the Republicans wish and they, you know, make some side comments about the whole process and then uh, make a soundbite of it. So, it is worth, I think, for the Democrats fighting over to bring um, this process to a close in a way that is that you know scores points with their caucus, unifies their caucus as much as possible, and brings out more damaging information on Mr. Trump. Okay, let's hear from John in Peterborough. Hi, John. Hi, how are you? Fine, how are you? I'm good. Um, listen, I watched, and I've been listening to your, your experts there, but I watched all of it yesterday. And Congratulations. Hoyer... Hoyer, yep. the Democrats, he summed it up the best. Yeah. Because he had given uh, three different instances where they wanted to work with him, and he would not work with them. And I think right now what they're doing, and they're correct there, is waiting to see what kind of a deal they can get on what questions can be asked. Because right now, as you say, they're rubber-stamped, but that could change if they get the witnesses. And let me just say one other thing, if I can, please. Anyone that had any respect for Donald Trump must have lost it last night at his Michigan rally when he talked about the late member, Dingell, and said if he was looking up at him, meaning from hell. A man that was respected by everyone, both sides, and he was having a go at his wife, who had taken his place. I, had, I cannot find anything. I tried to find something good in most people. I cannot find anything good in Donald Trump. I'm very sorry. And if you watch that show, you will see, well, on some stations, where you hear the ooing and aahing of his own people that did not agree with him. Okay, John, I think we know where you stand. Thanks for your call. Take care. Okay. Well, uh, I don't think Donald Trump would do that well in Canada, but he's in the United States. And again, I just want to get back to that. There's been a lot of speculation. A lot of pundits say it, it will actually backfire on the Democrats. Mm-hmm. The backstory with Nancy Pelosi is that she really didn't want to do this. Yeah. Uh, do any of you others have a different opinion on whether this was a good idea for the Democrats? You know, Nancy Pelosi said at one point, we cannot do impeachment for political reasons and we cannot avoid to do impeachment for political reasons. If uh, there are doubtless, truly some members of Congress who really were trying to do what was right without making that political calculation. 
But Pelosi was making a political calculation all along, and at the end, her political calculation was she could not resist the enormous pressure from the great majority of her caucus in order to save the seat of the moderate Democrats who are going to be in trouble because they were elected in districts that favored Trump. And there she is in an impossible situation. A quick comment on Michigan, although my two other colleagues may want to talk about this. This was Betsy DeVos' country. He was in Battle Creek. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is a a Republican bastion. But he's now done once again something that he may have cost them the political calculation referring to Dingell and his widow, is John McCain's widow has come out and said, look, here's another chance, another opportunity for him to bully grieving widows. The loss of the House came in Republican uh, suburbs, mainly from Republican women who switched. Mm-hmm. And this kind of behavior that he's displaying, that you specifically ask about, Libby, is possibly going to consolidate Republican, uh, formerly Republican suburb, suburbs, switching over to Democrats, how this plays out into those 31 vulnerable uh, uh, Republic, uh, Democrats who took Republican seats remains to be seen. A lot of them, however, had security backgrounds. They said, I took an oath as a ranger. I took an oath. <laughs> so they said, we, we believe in our oaths, and they have a persuasive case, but it's a case they're now going to have to make. You know, when you're talking about elections, yesterday I saw an interesting poll on demographics, and it said uh, it dealt with the voting intentions of women over 50. Mm-hmm. And basically the way they parsed it out, almost virtually all of them were going to vote. Most of them were still undecided and that they could decide the election. Mm-hmm. I have been waiting for three years for the public to rise up in revulsion. And I, I've been disappointed time after time. So I just, I just really don't know what's going to happen. But I, I, uh, I don't have any great confidence that one more outrageous and deplorable statement by Donald Trump will change the balance of power in terms of his support. It might make a difference in some swing districts. Uh, we will see. It did certainly in 2018, and that was positive. But in terms of his own fortunes as a candidate, well, I've got my fingers crossed, but we'll see. He also said that the he called the impeachment process illegal, and then there was that crazy letter he sent to Nancy Pelosi. What about those things? I think there it's interesting to to note just that um, the 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 whole question about whether impeachment is legal or whether it involves criminality is. Um, you know, kind of unnecessarily complicated. It's really quite simple. Impeachment is not a criminal process. It's not like another kind of legal regime. Uh, criminal codes in the, you know, uh, British tradition, Anglo-American tradition is for everyone. It applies to every single person and it applies to the rules that we can't allow anyone to do, like rob things or burn things. Whereas impeachment has to do with high crimes and misdemeanors. It's things that are only relevant if you're holding political office, or especially in this case, federal office. So it's just a very easy thing for a lot of people all over the political spectrum to muddle by saying, you know, it's a crime and therefore it has to be proven as a crime to be, uh, you know, proven innocent. You heard this a lot yesterday with, uh, during those debates, and it would just be a lot better to just come out and say, look, you know, the reason that it's spelled out as it is in the Constitution is to say uh, impeachment is a separate, it's, I can call it a, it's a constitutional process more than it is a legal one. Um, and so Mr. Trump and many others 
muddle those waters by basically bringing the language of a criminal suits. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that cuts both ways. When Nixon was, was up for impeachment, one of the articles that was rejected was yes. uh, uh, his, his incorrect tax filings. And it was argued that while that might have been illegal, it didn't relate to his conduct as president. Right. That's right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there's a whole thing in New York with Donald Trump's taxes that he won't disclose. But it seems that, you know, when he said that he could uh, shoot somebody on Fifth Avenue and it wouldn't make a difference, you know, he might have had it. He might be right. You know, yeah. One of the interesting things about the impeachment process, because we've been talking about Clinton, it did not start with Monica Lewinsky. It started with Whitewater. It started with totally different grounds. And then things came out. So one of the things I've Two things I've been watching for as this has unfolded is, is there anything coming out that would change the Republican base? That is, would the Republican base crack because of anything that was being brought out over over Ukraine? And I think the answer to that is pretty clearly no. Second thing is, will anything new come out? Will there be some other things? Because the process, the machinery is now in place, as it was for Clinton as it was for Nixon, for that matter, and things came out. So far, we don't see that, and I think that's possibly why we're, we're seeing the Democrats holding out for, well, we now want to have more people testify uh, in the Senate. We want to have more people that might bring out something. Uh, who knows where it'll go? And I think the most startling thing I heard today uh, out of everything, and there were some marvelous exchanges of between Schumer and Pelosi, Pelosi handling herself and in terms of, of the, um, the speaker of the Senate, Mitch McConnell. But buried away in all this, Schumer said, we want our four witnesses, and if the president wants to send other witnesses, he can do so. This could turn into a much more wide-open circus. Uh, the four people that he's, uh, Schumer says he wants were very tightly, it was not Bolton, it was not Pompeo. Uh, it was all related very tightly to people who had factual knowledge of what went on in, in the Ukraine situation. So this isn't over, but at the moment, uh, it does look as if this is going to not be momentous. It's just going to be a speed bump on the way toward 2020. Okay, we have uh, like about 30 seconds left. So uh, we'll give uh, 15 seconds to each of you. Who hasn't spoken? If I if, if I could, that um, just as a kind of way, as an American living in Canada, and at the risk of sounding corny here, it, there really is a cautionary tale in that while I'm far from someone who gets dewy-eyed about bipartisanship uh, or whatever else, there is a point at which partisan hatred becomes so entrenched uh, that institutional designs and constitutional democracy simply cannot stand it. It, c- it cannot function. And I, I, I worry that this is happening to my home country, and I really hope that um, Canadians take notice of that. Okay, uh, I'm sorry. Got to wrap it up right there. Thank you so much, Dr. Ronald Shuren, Dr. Jason Opel, and Dr. Elliot Tepper talking about the Trump impeachment. Appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Thank you. Okay. You're welcome. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. 
Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.